Sophie Georgievic takes us on her journey of how she went from aspiring luxury executive to having a stellar career in Paris, climbing the ranks within the world's largest luxury groups. Tech Powered Luxury is proud to be sponsored by Seabody, an Irish-based tech-powered beauty and wellness brand. Seabody has developed a unique next-gen approach to seaweed-based skincare and supplements. Luxury powered by technology with innovation at its core is exactly what this podcast is about. Find Seabody on Instagram or at seabody.com to discover their innovative products. Hello and welcome to Tech Powered Luxury, your weekly podcast dedicated to the intersection of luxury and technology in all of its facets and forms. The goal of each of these episodes is to bring international and actionable insights to people passionate about the luxury and tech industries. For today's episode of Tech Powered Luxury, we have Paris-based Sophie Georgievic. Sophie has had a career that could be envied by all who strive to work at the crossroads of luxury brands and digital marketing. From her first in-house internship at L'Oreal to overseeing the development of e-commerce globally within Coty Group, all the way to the pinnacle of luxury within LVMH Group's beauty houses Dior and Guerlain. Sophie has taken the fast track, leaving a trail of high impact behind her whilst keeping the highest of energy along the way. However, what many don't know about Sophie, because she is incredibly modest and low profile, is that she's also very invested in the future generation of leaders within the luxury industry. As a board member of the Schema Luxury Masters, alongside the CEO of Tiffany's, there is no one better out there to share advice on how to carve out a stellar career in this space and in the luxury capital of the world. Paris. Sophie, welcome. Hello. Thank you, Ashley, for having me. I am so excited to have you here today because I said it to you already before we started recording. I think this is actually going to be the episode that has the biggest impact internationally on people who are looking to make their break in the industry, who want to find their first role, whether it's an internship, full-time job, or you know, carve out that educational side of things. So I'm so excited to get started on this one. I'm also excited to be here with you again. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, definitely super happy when I hear you say that. I'm looking forward uh, to help anyone that needs any help. Uh, I've always been doing that and I love doing this. So very happy to be with you to discuss these topics today. Well, let's jump straight into it. Sophie, I'd like to start by asking, who are you and what led you to where you are today? My name is Sophie Georgievic. I've been working in the luxury industry now for the past seven, eight years, I think. Sometimes pains me to remember how long it was already. But uh, yes, I've been uh, studying also all the luxury topics right after my high school and baccalauréat, you know, the French degree you get after high school, in uh, Schema Business School uh, firstly, and then I also did dual degrees in the US and in Germany. So I guess we'll dive into that later on. But uh, yes, I did that. And then right after, went back to uh, work into many different corporation you already listed but I studied at L'Oréal as an intern then moved uh, right after my studies to Coty started as an intern as well moved into a, a full a full position right after on the scope of starting Europe in the luxury division of, uh, of Coty and then I went into the global position for the beauty part of Coty so more mainstream products uh, on this part, I was working mainly on e-com topic. They didn't have then, uh, you know, direct e-commerce. So it was more about everything e-wholesale, working also with Amazon. So I had a great experience on this one. And after that, I went and joined Dior, uh, where I stayed for four years as an e-retail project manager. I see you smiling. I guess you know this one. <laughs> that's a little insider tip. That's where we met. And so I uh, started at Dior then uh, as e-retail project manager, stayed four years. 
uh, indeed, it was a great experience because it started with a lower size of business, which we grew all together. So uh, that also uh, led me to stay that long. And after that, I moved and joined Guerlain, uh, now a year almost and a half ago, uh, as the e-retail manager, uh, international manager, sorry, for uh, for the brand. And so I'm overseeing all the e-wholesale, e-travel, retail, and also uh, e-concession businesses uh, for the brand. Wow, a lot of ease in there. Um, <laughs> we'll dive into that later on because I'm sure there are people listening who maybe haven't heard of those specific roles and don't realize that it's those e-wholesale, e-business teams that drive a lot of the profitability, not just within digital teams, but within the whole scope of the luxury industry. So there's a lot of growth and room for new talent in those areas. Definitely. I couldn't agree more with you on that one. And if I can allow, I think uh, those are also, and as we are discussing careers in luxury, I think those are really growing parts of companies that are currently hiring, looking for talents. It's all uh, building businesses, so definitely loads of opportunities in these ones. Absolutely. A top tip there (laughs) from (laughs) Sophie. Um, But Sophie, your story is what many people listening may see as a blueprint for what's possible within the luxury and digital space, because you've had lots of different roles in different groups, different brands. And every time that you've made a move, it's been for progression and moving Mm up. So you went from your master's program straight to L'Oréal and then onwards and upwards, full-time roles all based in Paris within Coty and now LVMH, as you said, for the past couple of years. But you had a really strong educational platform, we could Mm -hmm. say, to get you to that place. And that's something that I think for someone who isn't French, it's really hard to navigate. It's really hard to understand where to even start. How does this work? So maybe you can first take us on your own educational journey that brought you to where you are today. Definitely. And I'm sorry, there's going to be some few French words because we have some specifics that I couldn't translate, but I'm going to explain to you everything. So first of all, so when you graduate high school, as I said, you get what we call the baccalauréat. And you will see uh, right after that, in French, we call, uh, we, we work with bac plus X years. So that's considering the studies that you had after your baccalauréat, so after high school. So in case you read that somewhere, you know how to dive into that one. Uh, after my baccalauréat, I went what, into what we call class préparatoire, so kind of preparatory classes. So it looks kind of like high school, but in a tougher way. Uh, looking back at it, it was quite tough times, but it learned me so much. It taught me, sorry, so much uh, around. Uh, what I'm doing now also in terms of managing stress and being very responsive in short amount of time. Uh, and so class préparatoire are really aiming at preparing you to the exams to enter business school in France. So obviously in France, you have two ways to enter a business school. Either you go right after uh, into a, what we call post-bac uh, school. So that would be looking like a bachelor's degree. Or you could go into the class préparatoire and enter them at your third year of bachelor kind of back plus three uh, in another type actually of degree that we call programme grande école so big schools kind of program yeah uh, that's uh, something very specific to the french business school so that's the way that i that i, that I picked uh, mainly because after high school i didn't know exactly what i wanted to do i liked it and i wanted to go further into it and liked also the um, the, the rigor actually that you have into this type of uh, of education once I finished that, obviously I had this big exam, so you're studying for two years and then you have three weeks of exams, math and, and everything that you have in high school. Uh, and then you're ranked uh, on the national level and you enter business school uh, after that, depending on your on your level. So I, I ranked 
uh, in quite high and I finished in, uh, in Schema Business School. Uh, what's also cool after you, once you had the written exams that you have the oral exams, that's also something you sometimes may not know. And you have to visit the whole France and you go to all the business school and you have oral exams there. And it's super cool because you get to see the school, the teachers, some professionals as well. And so you get really a little bit the vibe and the DNA of the school and it helps you so much pick it. So that's how uh, I fell in love with Schema and went there uh, first year. So in Lille, um, the first year when you go into a business school like that in this programme Grande École is very generic in terms of content and you specialize afterwards. Some school makes you specialize from the first years of master's, others in the second only. At Schema, I had both options depending on what you wanted to do. So when I finished my license degree, so bachelor's year plus three baccalaureate, uh, I went to um, I went to Munich uh, and did a dual degree in Munich Business School. Uh, that was an option offered by Schema, which I really, uh, really, really enjoyed because I wanted to see also what the Germans are about, learning about uh, learning about a bit their lifestyle and culture. Also because I'm from Strasbourg, so that was quite familiar to me. Um, but also because uh, obviously they've been uh, also ranked in very high in terms of quality of education. And I can only attest that uh, have, I've had an amazing year there. Uh, and so I did an MA in international business with a specialization in marketing and luxury. I think I would recommend also that master's because it was a very broad one into which you could learn the basics of business and international business, but then really start to dive into some topics of interest for you. And that's, I think, also a good way, you know, to just get to uh, know what, what you like or not. So on that one, Sophie, I have a quick question. Sure. Uh, if I put on my hat of an international person yeah. who maybe isn't so familiar with the French business schools yet, mm-hmm. if I was in high school right now and I was thinking, okay, I want to go and do this amazing program that mm-hmm. Sophie did, obviously I imagine that the prépa, yeah. the prep school, it's completely French. I imagine that there were not any international students. Could right? be French here, I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in general, it shouldn't be maybe something that international students aspire to. They want to join after the uh, prépa and they want to come in directly into a program. How would they do that? Do they already need to have a bachelor's degree in order to enter? No, no, I don't think so. You have different ways to enter the business school right now in France. So either you go actually to university, even if you're only in France, and you have what we call concours passerelle, so kind of a passageway exam that you can go and take later on. So after two years of university and you can get into the programme Grande École or after three years and you get into the master's directly. Or even if you want to do your first years of master in the university and just enter a specific master later on, you could do that. So I think there are lots of different ways to enter it. Nothing is closed. I think this way, as I said, is a very French way. Uh, It's also buying you some time also to think. Uh, I always think that in France, I know it's not always the case in other countries, but you finish. I finished high school at 17 and I've been asked to do so many tough choices then. So I wanted to have also more time to reflect on what I wanted to do. I think sometimes at 18, you're not uh, always sure what you wanted to do. So I, I thought this was a way to buy time. But you can definitely do a post, uh, post-baccalaureate bachelor's within a business school or go to the university and get this passage way concours that we call passerelle. Yes. And the concept of grande école, which you mentioned as well. That is absolutely a French institution. Uh, it was Napoleon that came up with this concept, right? So it's been around for a long time. <laughs> 
Yes, actually, it's been around for a long time. So actually, it's from all the business schools that we have in France. Uh, overall, if you say Grand École, we don't only have business school in France. It's really relating also to, you know, Polytechnique, Sciences Po and all these big schools. But uh, this is just a way that they say into the business school to say that you come from a class preparatoire and you did the exams. Those exams are very highly selective. So they tend to also open you some different business schools doors. Um, and I know some of them, I think uh, the top ones, uh, thinking about the, the three Parisians one, uh, so HEC, ESEC and ESCP, at least back when I did it, didn't take at this level students outside of the Programme Grande École and they would take them right after the master's. So when, when they validated the bachelor's, if you were a foreigner or coming from you know, another background. So I know it, it's also a way to open the doors to some, uh, I would say, tougher to enter business schools. Uh, but you can still get them, obviously. You did. <laughs> I know. Yes. Uh, you have other ways. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you're French, that's one, uh, one of the ways. Yeah. And I think it's good for people to know that maybe are coming from yeah. abroad because then, well, you can expect all of these French classmates of yours, they've already most likely done either two years of prépa or yeah. they have done something else, but they're not just arriving fresh from high school. No. They've actually got quite a few years of experience already. And I really saw a difference in maturity, actually, yeah. when I started studying in France from a lot of different nationalities who'd been studying for longer. They had a little bit more experience, yeah. a couple of internships already under their belts when um, maybe from Anglo-Saxon countries in particular, mm -hmm. we arrived straight from high school with no other experiences that, that's a, definitely I think uh, that, that's a good point and maybe just um, as a real detail on the class preparatoire I think what's very interesting about them is that you have a lot of small oral exams uh, along the way uh, at night after class and you have like sometimes a topic in French uh, literature or philosophy and you have five minutes to prepare an answer for 15 minutes And it really builds your mind to, you know, be very fast-paced, fast-thinking. And it's it's actually very funny because we all remember if people did that. And just so I think foreigners understand the, the, the exercise and the experience. Uh, I think my first one in French, I had like a three out of 20. It was terrible. It's Oof, super okay. tough. And then you finish <laughs> around 17, 16, and you see the progress. And they are really teaching you also ways to... I think now I use that work as well. So really being, you know, pitching, uh, fast thinking, finding solution, always bouncing back. So sometimes we feel it's a little bit outdated as a process. But then if you look back at some aspects of it, I think that's also what you said when you see some maturity in some profiles. I think this is also the kind of thing it brings out for us. Great, Sophia, it sounds super interesting. And I think anyone listening who is not French, especially, or maybe even people in high school in France, if they're listening, they're going to realize, actually, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes until people can get into these business schools. But it's absolutely worth that investment of time, because like you said, it gives you life skills, communication, stress management, leadership, all of these things, no matter what you're going to do in life, will stand to you. Um, but ultimately you ended up in Schema. As I said, you are a board member of the luxury program there as well. And I'd love to know, what did you do in particular during that program and how did that help you uh, kind of pave the way to where you are now? Yes, uh, so indeed, so I started at Schema and went back in the end at Schema. So my last years of master's, I uh, joined the Master of Science called Global Luxury and Management. Uh, back then, it was a dual degree with NC State in uh, North Carolina Raleigh. Uh, so I went in the US uh, for six months, studied there. So just for some of our listeners, if they are familiar with Schema, we have a campus there. 
but on this master's, you're not part of the Schema campus. You're really, uh, you were really into uh, the student crowd of the US. So it was a very different kind of uh, a vibe. Um, did I say that wrong? No, I'm just laughing because I'm remembering stories that you told me before about going to like the football games and the oh, stadiums yeah. and just how American it was and how different it was from so different. Paris and Lille and Strasbourg. <laughs> Yes, it was very different. Um, so, yes, so you are a real part of the U.S. student crowd, which was very interesting for me because obviously uh, I did learn about the culture uh, of the U.S. much more than what we see in the movies from a French aspect, if I may. <laughs> um, but also what was very interesting is that uh, I learned different ways of doing luxuries, of perspective perceiving luxury and from expressing it. And definitely as a French person, you have your own way. Uh, we have all our brands and we sometimes think very proudly we are the only one. Uh, but that really opened my eyes and my mind about so many different aspects of luxury. So that was a very insightful part of the of, of the master's. Obviously, it was also mainly focused on management. I had classes with MBA. I had leadership classes, uh, public speaking classes. So definitely some kind of skills that you would expect also uh, an American to master somehow from a French perspective. And then the second part of the master was back uh, in France. Back then it was in Nice. And maybe afterwards I can tell you how the master's changed. Uh, but uh, it was nice and was much more focused on the luxury brand management side. So telling you how to storytell, how to uh, build a product mix in the luxury industry, uh, even finance related to, in, to, to luxury and sourcing. So many different uh, classes that were quite insightful as well, uh, taught you at least some of the basis that you need later on in your life. And then obviously afterwards, uh, we had lots of uh, professionals also intervening, both in the US and in France, uh, which was really opening mind, uh, a mind opener, sorry for us. If I may say a word about also the following of this master's, that now as a board member, I've seen it evolve, I've participated into the evolution also of this master's, of the program. Uh, and definitely, I still learn from it. It's very cool because I intervene a lot with them. I meet all the, the classes for the past four or five years now. We have an amazing board right now. So it's uh, it's very interesting because it's keep, it's keep teaching me, actually. <laughs> it's keeping teaching me. Yeah. That's fantastic that the alumni are so involved because I think having that level of sponsorship, like you looking out for the next generation, making sure they have the info they need, that's key. And I know you've told me before that it's it's a very international master's and a really international cohort, which is fantastic to see as well, because we do, we need diversity and we need to have those other people and other perspectives Definitely. within the luxury industry if we want it to thrive and to have space for all of us. Tech-powered luxury sponsor Seabody uses state-of-the-art blue biotechnologies and marine biodiscovery. Seabody includes the most potent and closest-to-nature molecules in their ranges of skincare and supplements. You can discover more about Seabody on Instagram or at seabody.com. Really interesting to hear your path, Sophie, and obviously you had a really international experience. And even within France, you weren't just in Paris, actually. You grew up in Strasbourg, then you were in Lille for your studies, then you were in Nice. You also got to go to the US, you were in Germany. So you really went everywhere. That in itself is an education. As we know, learning how to 
get set up, find a new place to live, find your way around, figuring out <laughs> transport. I remember you told me before we won't, I think maybe we could have a whole podcast episode just dedicated to that, but your trip to the US, probably one of the funniest stories <laughs> I've heard in my life, um, <laughs> how you got yes. there. Or even transportation, just so you know, what was yeah. crazy was in Munich, I remember like when I went to school the first time, so I had to take the bus. And I'm quite, I'm never late. I'm usually trying to be always in advance. In Germany, the bus leaves one minute in advance because they are so organized. In French, the bus leaves 10 minutes late. So it was just <laughs> such a mindset change for me. So I had always to yeah. be very early to everything because being on time is being five minutes early there. In Paris, being on time, it's five minutes after. <laughs> so exactly. Was, yeah, I agree. So like the, the cultural learnings yeah. as well are Definitely. amazing. And that set you up for having yeah. this very global career because actually all the roles that you've had since your first internships they have been in global companies and for the most part in international facing roles and I know on a day-to-day basis you're dealing with what we would call the markets so the Mm -hmm. teams based in country uh, globally around the world and having that cultural experience and being know how to adapt and work with different nationalities is so key it's not just about the actual things you learn in the classroom but everything that happens outside as well and going back uh, going back to all the ease we mentioned uh, and um, linking it to that I think it's uh, super interesting also to, to remind everyone that a, a digital career can actually lead you to very international paths international exchange and learning about cultures very easily. And we always think that it's the people who travel that see the most. Obviously, you, you see a lot. But even within digital, and you're right to say that, I've learned so much about different cultures, about different way of doing businesses. So I think that's also a good, uh, good tip for all the people interested into digital roles, because definitely you don't stay into your market. You just travel all the time. It's super easy. And that's one of the things I love most, I would say, about my job right now. Amazing. Sophie, looking back to when you started at Schema, what resources did you have at the time to navigate your own career progression? And at what stage did you know that you really wanted to work in the world of luxury? So before going into the business school and finishing my first year, I would say none. <laughs> that was quite interesting. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit lying. Okay, so what, what's interesting into the process of getting into Schema, and I know they still do that, uh, for the oral exam, they ask you to do a prospective uh, resume. So thinking about your resume in five to 10 years. And that's how the personality... Manifesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's how uh, the personality interview is made. And I think it's such a great way for you even to think about where you want to be. Obviously, I had the master's that I did into my prospective resume. So I knew that I wanted to do this one. Uh, didn't had a career in digital back then. I had more a career in product management, which I think, uh, and also for the listeners, I think was the easy way because you don't really know until you're there all the position you have access to. Mm. So now I would understand that I wouldn't know about anything else than producing products somehow back then. But that was a very interesting one. So uh, in terms of knowing to do luxury, I think I, I had the feeling that I wanted to do it. Not only because, of course, we love the product, we love the brand, we love the story. But on my side, it came really from something very French. Uh, that's kind of our pride, I would say. Uh, back even when we had kings in France, we were very well known for the luxury in French, the fragrances, you know, the textile, the style and everything, the lifestyle. And I really love that about my country. Uh, as a, myself, kind of a foreigner and uh, being raised from a family that wasn't French, I always thought about France with like little stars in my eyes and I always loved 
that aspect of the country. And I felt that I wanted really to go back into uh, the luxury business because I thought that it was a way of paying back a little bit to France and to uh, give it back all its shine. Everyone knows France and Paris also for all of these aspects. And I felt that was a very French thing to do. I remember back then all my friends were like, okay, let's move abroad, see other things, work for something else. And for me, I felt like France somehow gave me a lot of chance to me and my family. So I really wanted to stay and also kind of yeah work for this type of industry that also make the, the country kind of shine. So that's how I really got into luxury, I'd say. And I felt like it was something I really wanted to do. Right now, looking back at it after, after I think almost 10, 12 years now uh, since I started uh, my studies, uh, I'm even happier because also I joined LVMH and I don't know if you know, but we have so many métiers d'excellence, I think 280 métiers, 280 métiers uh, that we actually preserved uh, from the industry we have uh, that would have maybe disappeared. We have specific schools for that and we are recruiting young talents also on these aspects. Um, and when I learned about that, I couldn't be prouder because I felt, okay, that's what I'm doing, why I, I chose to do luxury. So definitely knowing that uh, our groups and maisons do that is a, is a key thing. And then going back to the resources I had, as I said, kind of uh, none, obviously. I went back alone and I was like, okay, I want to do that, but what's the best uh, way to do it? So obviously very rationally looked at schools program, looked at bachelors, uh, looked at master's degree and saying, okay, which one would be the best and the, the most likely to accept me somehow <laughs> so I could get a, a step into that. Also very funny things and a very funny story. And maybe I don't think you know about this one, Ashley. Um, <laughs> and it's also, I think, for all the, the listeners that also are scared. I remember when I said uh, to my family that I wanted to go into luxury, they looked at me a little bit weirdly and said, okay, just you know, go and try it and go to Paris and live your Parisian dream into a huge house like Dior or Chanel. Yes. Um, and after I, I, I ended up having my first, uh, my first contract, full-term contract at Dior, I called my mom to tell her I was obviously super happy, not telling I was crying, but very close. And she told me, you know, when you told me the first time when you were leaving for class préparatoire and then schema that you wanted to go to Paris, uh, live a Parisian dream, even for you as a French, and work in luxury, I was very scared because we always thought that uh, this type of career are also based on relations and you get into that because you know someone. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, okay, in f coming from Strasbourg, being in the restaurant industry, I, I don't felt like I could help you in any ways. And I was really relying on your own to <laughs> make it yeah. happen. And she always told me, I thought you would be like Icarus, you know, flying too close to the, to the, to the sun and maybe just fall <laughs> down afterwards because you were really looking for the stars. And then yeah. you made it. And I think that. It could be, I wanted to tell that story on the podcast uh, just because I think that's a good, um, I think, I hope some people can also relate to that one. Uh, you can come from whatever, whatever background and if you want to do it, you can just find rational ways, easy ways to, 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 for you. Don't always look at the big picture, but look at the smaller steps you can get to get to it. That's the way I managed it. And in the end, I kind of arrived to it. So I'm very happy. Even my mom didn't believe at the beginning and now she's super <laughs> happy. Um, so yeah, just uh, wanted to tell this one to give back hope also on uh, on the aspect of getting to these kind of companies. Yeah, that's really inspirational, and I think a lot of people listening will relate to that. Mm. Whether it's people who like you have absolutely already made it, <laughs> or people who are hoping to get there. Yeah, you know, we're all human. We all have those same self doubts, and sometimes, even like you said, your parents might be worried that mm. you won't be able to make it, and then perhaps 
they will discourage you because they don't want to see you fail. And that can be coming from a place of care. Uh, luckily your mum didn't voice those concerns because I know when you're young as well if you hear from someone who you think is your biggest fan telling you that oh I don't know can you do it maybe you'll be discouraged but actually it's you that can make that change and make it happen and like you said you don't need to have the context today actually I think your power was first of all your energy (laughs) and second of all it was your education like you came with the best education possible to bring as much value as you could back into the luxury industry and for that you don't need any context you just need you I agree couldn't agree more um and if we look at the education that you did have Mm -hmm. I know that that gave you this very strong foundation in all senses and forms from soft skills to hard skills really the practical level all the way down to understanding luxury like you said you have many classes about luxury um how key was that combination of both the prépa to, you know, getting the, the licence, as it's called, and the master's to getting to where you are now? Um, I think looking back at my education, I think three things were key. And that's also why I would advise people to go into business school, for instance, to have this kind of path. The first of all uh, was the opportunity to study abroad, as you as we mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, especially, I remember when I entered Schema, what I loved about the business school was that to graduate, you needed 18 months abroad and 18 months of professional uh, uh, experience within three years. So definitely you would be uh, really challenged uh, in these years. So I think that's very interesting opportunity if you look at business school or at your education, look for schools that offer that one because it opens your mind so much. Obviously, if you're coming from abroad in France, that's also quite a good experience. Yes. But don't really <laughs> think that that's enough. Just go and see something else, go another continent and learn about something else. As I said, I really learned how luxury was perceived differently in other countries. Even in Germany, they were talking about you know cars and more architectural design. And then in the US, it was about yachts, helicopters, and golfing for instance or hospitality <laughs> it was no it was really interesting and then you go yeah. back to France and it's you're just thinking about beauty fragrance and then fashion so I think that really opened my mind on that so it would encourage uh, obviously the study abroad thing I think the the second key opportunity that I got within my education was to do a lot of internships so as I mentioned at Schema I had to do 18 months of internship within the three years of studies that I had so definitely as soon as you finish your studies you go back into the workforce with already one plus year of experience that's what you mentioned Ashley just before that some of your the French students that you had next to you when you arrived in France were also a bit more experienced kind of so that's uh, a very interesting aspect I think from the French business school that we have. Also to be noted uh, for all the uh, maybe foreigners that don't know how it works. Um, in France, we have a system of a type of contract for internship that we call convention. Convention. Uh, it's a mandatory thing uh, for all the big corporation. So you would need a convention internship, uh, meaning that it's sponsored by a school. Uh, without that, you couldn't get really an internship unless it's a very short one, two months, and we don't really deliver these anymore. Uh, obviously, this is also because it's uh, quite uh, legally, uh, you know, circled in France around the internship. So you have a specific type of pay. It's also helping you for your retirement. So that's why they need the convention. Um, so if you're not into a business school or if you're not into a university, it can be a tough one for you to get. So don't come and knock around, like knock to doors without that one, because that would be just a hard stop for companies, unfortunately. Yeah. 
for sure. That's actually such a good point, Sophie. And every now and then when I share an internship online, especially the students who are not French reach out and say, oh, I'm going to apply for this. Um, And they'll ask a couple of questions. And then very quickly, I realize they don't, first of all, have a convention de stage because they're not enrolled currently in a university. So you have to be. If you're not enrolled, you basically don't have the legal right to be an intern. And I think it's good in many ways because it brings structure. It means that everything is legal. It means that all interns are paid. It's not like in the US. Um, and also, in general, all the business schools in France, as you said, they basically have this obligatory time period where you have to do internships. And usually it's January to July and then uh, July to December. So that's the two internship seasons. So if people are looking for those internships, minimum three months before those start dates, you should be trying to really um, like get those locked in. And actually, it's even earlier. I mean, uh, for the past like three years, we've been posting jobs and internships from Jan for July. And yeah, so even six months in advance, start now. <laughs> even myself, when I had the one at L'Oréal, I think I had it like five months before the start date. I was thinking back then, it's crazy. It's so early. Maybe I'm not going to be here in five months, whatever happens to me. So it was a, it was an interesting point. But you're right. We have two kind of seasons uh, and you need the convention to, to, to be an intern. And also on that point, uh, the business school delivered them uh, up to six months after you ended your studies and not afterwards. So you really need to have it close to your ex work experience. Otherwise, it's, uh, it's not valuable. Yeah, either during when most of the business schools, anyways, like that's what I had as well. So I did three internships while I, I did two while I was at Naoma Business School. And then I did mm -hmm. one um, when I was at HEC. And my last internship, it was my stage fond d'étude. <laughs> so your yes. end of studies internship. And I remember, especially because I didn't have that French mindset. I was thinking, how? I've got two bachelor degrees, two master's degrees. Why do I need to do another internship? Why won't ever anyone give me a job? And it was the most important internship of my life Definitely. that I ended up doing. It was the one at LVMH, which ultimately <laughs> changed so much for me. So those conventions de stage, gold dust, make the most of them. Do every internship possible. Um, like Sophie said here, after her international experience, it was the internships that were absolutely key yeah definitely and also because that's the first way of entering a, uh, a company obviously you do uh, you do a kind of the internships are kind of a training field for you as well and so they can see how you perform and then they can hire you right after um, maybe just one last aspect I wanted to highlight on the business school was that if you go into this type of masters like the one that I did you have the opportunity also to connect with a lot of people to network a lot uh, we had lots of professionals and now I'm being part of the professional going to help the students And I think this is also an amazing way to understand different types of business, different types of structures of company, different types of jobs, because you have directly operational people, professionals where you can, uh, to whom you can ask it. So uh, I would recommend business schools also for that and that type of education also. Absolutely. Sophie, that was really, really informative. And I think everything that you've shared there as well can help people take action. Um, And speaking from my own experience as well, again, as a non-French person, because I know that like 95% yeah. of the tech-powered luxury audience is international, but everyone is interested in France and in these big groups. <laughs> um, so for me, coming from Ireland, a master's, it wasn't seen as a necessity locally at all for getting a job. Never mind for getting an internship, like I said. So in many countries, it's the same and professionals go directly from an undergraduate degree straight into a job. But at least when I was wrapping up my degree, um, so at Naoma Business School, so even though I was in France in 2015, I did realize that actually I absolutely needed a master's uh, even to get 
an internship within LVMH because they want master's students, right? Um, so never mind a full job, like you do need the master's even mm. to get those very strong internships. So for anyone looking to start or even maybe pivot their career into luxury, specifically in Paris, um, do you see a master's degree as still being that key requirement for entering the luxury workforce? Definitely. Uh, obviously, first aspect, you mentioned it in all the job descriptions and even internship. We mentioned the back plus X years, as I said at the yes. beginning. So it's very important that you get this uh, level of um, uh, level of uh, validation. Also, a warning on that one. I know some uh, countries that have a bachelor's after four years. In France, it's considered full with two years of master's. So it's back plus five. So you should have three years of bachelor plus two years of master's. Yes. Um, so that would be a, a comparison. And the second aspect of it, and we, we just discussed that, is that it gives you the convention to get into an internship. And I think internships uh, are, as you said, for you, it was a great opportunity. For me, it was the same, uh, are one of the best keys to enter uh, the companies because obviously it gets you a step ahead. So I would definitely recommend doing a master's uh, for those two reasons. For people who maybe are trying to figure out, okay, you know, what masters are, perhaps MBA, especially people come from the US, I know that they would have the MBA mindset. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Are there any that you could recommend, especially for international people looking to join a major luxury group in France? So obviously I would have to speak about the one that I'm always uh, promoting and as a board member, the one of Schema, the Global Luxury Management one. Uh, just uh, a few words on how it changed uh, since I've left it. So now it's uh, it's not a dual degree anymore with the US, but you have a collaboration with NYU. So you have classes at NYU right now uh, around e-commerce, digital, and many different aspects uh, around the luxury business. And then you go back to Paris now, the master is in Paris, and uh, you get to the brand new campus of Schema, and you have amazing classes around retail, brand management. So I think uh, the master has evolved in a very uh, interesting way that's uh, more uh, modern right now uh, versus uh, more adapted sorry to uh, to the new uh, to the new world so I would definitely recommend this one also because as you mentioned we have an amazing board member board members we have <laughs> various not, <laughs> we have not cut that one <laughs> we have amazing an amazing board uh, not talking about me obviously but more talking about um some CEOs from Tiffany, from Baccarat. We have HRs from many different companies that really are here to help uh, the students structure the careers. So definitely would recommend this one. Uh, for the others that I know, I know the one also you did, Ashley, the, ne the Neoma I'm Lux one, which I think is also great. It's opening lots of doors and also opening new uh, discussion with lots of digital talks uh, and uh, interventions. So I would really recommend this one. Uh, one of the most famous one is also the one from LESEC, uh, which has uh, what we call LVMH share. So that means that LVMH is also promoting these masters. Uh, and then you have uh, many various of them into fashion schools like EFM in Paris, uh, which are also very interesting. On that one, if I can just comment also, is that I would recommend you to also base that on the notoriety of the business school. Sometimes just looking at the ranking of the masters in itself is not always what I would recommend, but look also at the school, because the bigger the school, the bigger the alumni, the bigger the events, and the bigger the network. So for me, for Schema, it was a very game-changing thing. The, 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 the alumni base is huge because we have three campuses in France. So definitely, we are almost double the other schools. That opens so many doors as well. So I would recommend looking 
outside just the master's, but also the global uh, school uh, perception. Really good advice. And also just to note the fees for going to these business schools in France for a master's, I would say on an international level, they're actually much lower than other countries, much lower than the US, actually lower than the UK as well. Mm -hmm. And I think the quality of education that you get is fantastic. Also, if you're doing these dual degrees or dual programs, like you've said, you're going to NYU, you're not paying NYU fees, you're paying French fees. Uh, Even with IM Lux, like you mentioned, there's a dual degree there as well. You're going to Italy and uh, studying in Milan as well. So you're getting this full 360 education, not just in the classroom, but through professionals engaging like yourself, industry insiders, and through living in a different country. Definitely. Fantastic. So look, imagine someone has already been working for a few years outside of luxury and outside of France, and maybe they have their education and they either can't afford a master's or an MBA, or even just to take out you know, that time to reskill themselves. These are stories that I hear a lot. And a lot of people that are listening might be in that position. They're like, I've already gone through all of this, but I still want to make that move. Maybe they're planning on working for another 30, 40 years of their lives, you know? So do you see any other ways that these people could find a way to enter into a luxury brand? Definitely. Um, I think that one of the first questions is really to make sure it is for you because it's a very specific uh, sector and we've been discussing it together a lot of time, but you need to be very detail-oriented, go really into uh, a deep dive into many topics. So I think that depending on where and what industry you come from, it can be a very big switch. So obviously, I would still recommend everyone to ask you the why I want to go into the luxury industry. We often see also students, interns coming because they love, I don't know, that brand or that brand, but they're not really into the luxury mindset from working from the working side. So I would always remember everyone to ask them why they want to go into luxury and the reason, the proper reason they want to do it. The second uh, recommendation I would have is that to look at the skills more rationally that you have. Obviously, if you've been managing projects into, I don't know which kind of sector, you can always find uh, duplication of these type of skills into the luxury industry. And of course, you may not have the luxury base Mm. background, but then you have the skills. So I would always look at really the detail of the skills, not look really at the company and say, okay, I may not be fit for that. But I think that a good, for instance, product manager is a good product manager everywhere he, he yes. has, if he's checking all the boxes. So to reassure you, and even on our side, we have always seen people coming from other industry, other sectors. Uh, it's also very enriching for the company. Mm-hmm. So don't be scared of that, but more look at the skills that you have that are kind of repurposable for the industry. Really good insights. Um, So obviously you are a native French speaker, but your English, as we can hear, is also phenomenal. Um, Many of the Tech Powered Luxury listeners are not native French speakers and a big challenge that they have into landing a position within whether it's a luxury internship or a full-time job, it's that they don't speak French. And do you see, especially like today, our focus is really on, you know, getting into a luxury group based in France. Do you see that bilingual French and English combination as being key to success? So that's kind of the crash test question. Yes, unfortunately, I believe that French is still kind of a, a must-have to work into a French company in France. And then the, the, I'm going to maybe have some uh, little variant on that one. But obviously, when you're here, everyone speaks French. You need to follow fast and everything in French. So maybe you may not have to be bilingual, but at least uh, to understand it very clearly and have some kind of a fluency when speaking it. I think that uh, we all can afford someone not... speaking French and we have been having those in 
lots of time in my careers now as colleagues, but at least they would all be understanding everything that we said. Make sure that your understanding of the language is really good. And then the, the, the speaking always comes with the practice. So if you have all the good basis and you're still able to have a basic conversation and answer, you know, you, you can build up on this. But I think that you need to, if we talk about levels like C1 level at least or B2, not even B2, I think C1 is a good level, a starting level, you know. Yeah, so C2 is basically the highest level that you can yeah. have. A1 is the lowest. Just because sometimes people think A1 is the highest, they get an A1 and they're like, I'm fluent. Like, no, that's actually the beginner's no. level. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I've heard exactly. this one before. Um, so yeah, getting up to that C2 level, if you can do that, like I, I tell everybody, learn French. It's actually probably the easiest thing that you can do to get yourself into the industry because everyone can absorb a language. It just takes time, but you can do it. Anyone, If I can do it, anyone can do it. Exactly. And actually also just to jump on that, um, you can also work for our brands from your own country. Mm. And uh, of course, maybe you want to go to France to get... The, the luxury side, the education, but then you can also take that back to your own country. As you said, just at the beginning, we work with what we call markets. So really you have uh, Dior in uh, China, you have Dior in the US, you have, you know, all those brands also have um, entrance in all the countries and there you wouldn't need to speak French. You would need to speak your own language first. And so French would be a plus there. Yes. And we are looking also for talents for all of these countries. So that would be also a great way not to think just about Paris, but to think also about working in luxury and bring this and the whole spirit that you love yeah. in your own country. And I think that's also a good uh, good tip in case. Yeah, Like for people that are coming from international backgrounds, being you know the general manager or head of digital for a major luxury brand in your home country, that is really powerful. And I it think is. it's something that maybe people overlook today because they're not aware that those positions exist in their countries. Um, but for all major economies, yes, those teams exist. And then for smaller economies, smaller luxury economies, I would be precise on that one because in some countries, yes, the economy is huge, but perhaps luxury not so much. It's grouped. So you might have um, certain regions where they have uh, one office in one city covering maybe a couple of countries. Um, but yeah, again, still, there are a lot of localized teams and positions and opportunities where French would be a bonus and not a necessity. Exactly. Um, so we recently had a discussion about CVs is actually just uh, earlier this week, Sophie, and about how, you know, HR can receive hundreds of CVs for these really yes. sought after positions, even, you know, those internships within luxury brands. And maybe that HR person or recruiter, they have one hour to go through 100 CVs or more. Um, what is your key advice for someone applying to a digital position within a luxury brand? Again, I'm going to say based in Paris because CVs do change a lot from country to country. So you'll be able to give that really valuable insight into what the expected standard is and second of all, how to stand out. So the standard in France, it's a one page resume. So you don't, you really don't have to send many pages. Everything has to fit on one, which means that sometimes you have to make choices. Uh, in terms of choices, just so you know, what we love to see is first the work experience and then the education. Obviously, uh, having internship for us is much more valuable than seeing somehow where you studied, because in the end, when you start to get this professional background, the education for us is just a validation that you have the degrees that we want, but then everything that we can uh, take out of you and bring into the company would come from your work experience uh, as a first thing. 
Uh, I always recommend also to have a clear header, like with obviously your name, but also what's your background and what are you looking for. If you are looking for internship, always write your availability availability dates and the duration of the internship. Same if you're looking for a long-term position, say when you will be able to start. Uh, that's always very interesting because if you have one second, at least you see. And if you're matching or not, it's just gonna, you know. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Especially like we said, for those internship seasons, yes. if we're looking yeah. for an intern who's going to start in five months and this person literally says available in five months time for six months, tick the box. Okay, we can we can consider this person for sure. Definitely. Then um, also on the short contact details. So just so you know, in France, so obviously pictures are not mandatory. You can put it or not, depends on how, you com how comfortable you are. Uh, we need your name, obviously your address, like postal address, email address and phone number. Uh, unless you need uh, a car, for instance, you don't need to mention you can drive a car. Uh, we don't need age or date of birth, just so you know, because I know sometimes from a country to another you need to mention. But in France, uh, none, of, none of these elements are mandatory on a, on a resume. Uh, then when you go into the work experience, my biggest advice would be to adapt your resume to the job offer you're, uh, you, you want to get. So meaning you read the job offer with detail and caution, and then you realize that some words are kind of the same as your resume, but not the same. To help you match and have your resume understand, try to make sure that those words and keywords are incorporated in your resume so that the person reading it from the company perspective reads it in a way that, wow, actually that looks a lot like what we said. And it's not about lying about your resume, but it's trying to find the keywords because from a company to another, from your wording to someone else, you have sometimes a little bit, a slight difference, yes. uh, but it's, you're actually meaning the same. So that could be really helpful for you to make sure your resume stands out because it has the same keywords. Yeah, just mirror those keywords. And actually, yeah. sometimes pre somebody actually reading the resumes it's all done online anyways there's a first round of validation yeah it's a, it's a scan like there's loads of technologies and major tech companies they do it but now a little bit everywhere and you want to make sure you mirror those keywords so at least you make it past yeah. that first digital scan and then when it's in front of somebody those KPIs or those keywords are, are there mirror them it's just mirroring and it's just adapting and that little bit of time for each application will definitely bring rewards Definitely. On the experience side, just be very straightforward. Bullet points, small bullet points, add numbers if it's relevant, but make sure it's very operational and legible for uh, the HR or the operational person receiving you. Then, of course, you have the school exchanges, everything notable, but don't go into too much details. And in the end, in French, we like to also list other skills. Obviously, languages are a must. Then all the art skills, if you master Photoshop or SAP or whatever, always Of course, do never lie and put the realness of it. Remember that hard skills can be taught to anyone. If you don't master a software that's listed in job description, it's fine. If we really want you, we'll teach you. It's okay. Uh, and then also list interests. On my side, I love to see when I have interns, see their interest and see if there are some that actually matches mine. And at the end of the interview, I would ask them about it. And that's going to help people create a real personal connection with you. Uh, so if you like a sport, if you play the guitar or anything, just write something real about you because that can actually help you connect so much in a very different way uh, with uh, the interviewer. Fantastic. Sophie, those insights are really, really key for anyone looking to move into the luxury industry or perhaps move country. You know, maybe it's somebody who's already in luxury in a specific market, but now they want to start applying for France. So all those tips are really, really helpful. Thank you. 
but we cannot talk about a career in luxury without addressing the overall ways of working, organizational behavior. You touched on it a little bit earlier. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, definitely. I think that in the luxury industry, we look uh, at some qualities around the profile that we hire. Um, and uh, they are quite quite the same. And it's funny because I do these kind of things with uh, my business school now uh, with all the HRs. I did it with Coty, I did it with Dior and Guerlain, and they all have the same kind of feedback. So um, what we say usually, and the one that actually I love to start with, is the humility of the profile. So, you know, sometimes luxury can be, wow, in your face, blingy, whatever that's your way you're thinking about it. But when you're on the French side, luxury is really a humble also sector where you, you, we don't expect you to embody the luxury and come with all the monograms and all the gold <laughs> and jewels. We really, we, but it's very surprising when you come, people are wearing low makeup, they're wearing like all black, it's more discreet, it's humble. And what I learned is more that you have to be quiet and listen first, and then you can obviously raise up to who you are once you did your proof. But I always want to remember that because sometimes in luxury you have your pride because you're working for such a big brand. And every time you say that to everyone, I had this effect when I said that I was working at Dior, everyone had stars in their eyes. It's easy to go and <laughs> get a bit crazy about it. But actually humility, I think, is uh, really my first uh, recommendation in terms of profile and skills. Uh, obviously, and that's really relatable for so many jobs, but manage many projects and stress. Uh, obviously, uh, luxury is not a uh, foreigner to being late on some <laughs> launches, on some content or on anything. So uh, we always have to be uh, really savvy on that one and make sure we handle a lot. The only the, the good thing I would say about the industry is that we are also real team players. Uh, I've never known a position or a company where when we had this type of challenges, someone would just leave you and drop you to it. We would always, you know, uh, in French, we say serrer les coudes. So really be a real team and go all together uh, into those challenges. So I think that's also the only way you make your brand prosper and get, you know, as high as they, as they are right now. Uh, especially when you look at the, um, the story of those brands right now. I'm working at Guerlain and it's close to 200 years old. And uh, obviously, that's not you know staying for so long without people being together. It has such a family spirit. You can still feel it when you work for the company. So that would be also very um, important, I would say, skills or cultural behavior that you would need for for this type of company. Uh, also, and one that I I really like also to mention to the students when I do that is um, the common sense. In French, we say bon sens. Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes you always look, you know, for the answer in complicated ways because we want to be innovative. Or, but sometimes luxury is also in the simple things, in the right way to address the things. Uh, and I think, you know, when even you address a customer or uh, a client, it, it, it's sometimes just being easily polite, very simple, um, and it's not always going to, you know, search for the most extreme experience. So I, I love also to remind that because we're always challenging ourselves, but sometimes it's just going too much. So. Uh, having bon sens uh, and a good sense of reflection is already uh, very important. Um, and then, of course, you have the what we call the savoir-être, uh, so know how to be somehow, uh, that matches the company. Uh, that really depends on the company you're working with or the corporation, obviously. Uh, so my best advice on that one is to always, you know, be very quiet, even on the way you dress for the interview, straight black, 
um, and very uh, simple clothing, no, to, not something popping. Uh, and then once you get into the company, keep that and then see how people are interacting, uh, how they are speaking, how they are dressing up. And then you would just be able to adapt. I remember, you know, at Dior, it was very simple and elegant, but I've seen friends working at Balenciaga and it was really over the top. <laughs> so I think that from a company to another, it changes. Absolutely. And also from the position you have. Yeah. So on that one, just take the time, mm. be so like have kind of a sobriety on the way you behave and the way you dress, be quiet and listen, and then just adapt. And the more you do that, the more work efficiency you show, the more you'll be able to show your personality. And I'm saying that because I'm super loud. <laughs> and if people from work listen to that, they're going to laugh. But that's the way I started it. Uh, and I think that's my really one of my key advice also for people starting the company, these companies. And actually, it's funny that you said, you know, you have friends working at different companies and they nearly start to mirror or match the company. But that shows a cultural fit as well. And perhaps Definitely. finding the brand that resonates the most with you, whether it's a fashion house, a beauty brand, perhaps it's actually a creative agency. I think that can be a great way to start as well. Like, where do you think that you will feel most at home? And now these days, like company culture, I feel like it's a big buzzword, but it's been existing a long, long time in the creative industries. People were attracted and really had this kind of magnitude to the companies that reflected them and their creative ways of thinking and whatnot. So that's also a great way to map out where you would like to work and where you see yourself. I completely agree. And it's very different from a company to another. And to that aspect, when we speak to the students, we know it's a tough one to get unless you're within the company. So on that one, uh, do your research also yes. if you're you're not sure. Do your research on all the brand websites. You have the story of the brand, the value of the brand. Uh, this is not only just for storytelling purposes. It's also, you know, to help people match, you know, their feelings with a brand. I know there are some brands I wouldn't feel like, you know, as a match with mm -hmm. uh, and others that I would love to work for. And I know why. So look into the story of the brand, the values they carry and try to see whether you fit or not. And I think that's really instinctive. So don't ask too much the question. Just read it and see how you feel. Yeah. And you will see there is a lot of difference on that one. Actually, I remember when I did one of my interviews for Dior, I was asked, what's the campaign that left the biggest impression on you in recent years from Dior? And I think you, sh if you're planning on going into an interview with a luxury brand, yeah. you should have top of mind what have they done recently that's actually made that brand desirable for me? Not only to be able to answer the question, but to figure out, do I like this brand? Do I want to work there and spend all my time there as well? And that's definitely a question we ask. Yes. Very good one. Yeah. We always ask, what have you seen from the brand? How do you like it? Uh, would you have done something differently maybe if it's a very specific job? So uh, always have this kind of... Uh, a spirit as well of yeah curiosity. I always ask curious. it now as well <laughs> like I had to answer that question I'm going to ask everybody that too <laughs> um, Sophie if we look to the future now though maybe you could tell us what is next for you well for me personally obviously I still have a lot to do in my current position I haven't started for so long now I've been building my own team so I'm looking forward to uh, have the business grow and my team grow as well now uh, I'm also entering a new stage of my career being a manager of four people uh, that changed me uh, quite a lot as well. So I'm really looking forward to the next experience uh, we have all together with what we call the dream team just between us. <laughs> um, also, I'm considering my next move, of course, of career, and I'm always projecting. Uh, I may not be the perfect example of projection. Uh, I'm not someone that really organizes myself months ahead. 
uh, I am more a day-to-day person and I've always followed uh, the best opportunities when they came and what I call my uh, my lucky star somehow that just you know lights up sometimes I'm feeling it's the right moment to do something but I'm considering the next moves maybe considering something abroad to be honest uh, because I'm you know, I've been seeing so much in France. I've been learning so much about other cultures. So it uh, would be quite interesting, I think, for that one. And that's maybe just, uh, I would say, uh, a tip on what destination I would consider. But I'm trying to learn Chinese. <laughs> so that's a very interesting challenge that I set for myself for my 30 years old. So trying to be uh, fluent in Chinese in, I think, hopefully the next 10 years, obviously, because it's so complicated. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yes so that's I'd say what's next for me and you know keep learning Uh, everyone's laughing at me because I'm trying to learn Chinese but it's super cool I've been speaking quite a lot of languages yet Uh, but this one I really wanted to first business wise but personally a lifelong learner Um, and Mm -hmm. actually if I could ask your perspective on the industry in general what do you think will be the biggest technological shift within luxury especially beauty in the next Mm -hmm. months and years I think there are three main ones for me. The, the first one, and you already discussed that longly on TPL, it's Web3, yes. Ouroboros. Um, so I think Web3 is really around the corner. We've, we are seeing much more um, uh, companies going into that one. Obviously, Garland did. But right now, we have lots of campaigns around Shiseido, uh, Shiseidoverse. Um, so I guess that really, right now, beauty companies have to find their ways within this uh and physical space uh, where you can't touch, you can't smell. So how would you provide that experience to the consumer without, you know, all these senses that are really key into our industry? I think our second challenge and technological shift that we may encounter is China being already a big player, but also kind of reaching a ceiling, you know, when we talk about Tmall and uh, uh, big players like that. Uh, we see that they're already very big and they don't grow as much as they do. So what would be the next, you know, growing platforms for you? Is it within uh, TikTok or Douyin? Uh, Is it within live streaming? So many opportunities coming in China, but right now we don't know yet which one would be the first one to focus. So I think in the next uh, months, uh, that's going to be very uh, determining for the brands. And the last one that actually also very close to my heart is about sustainability. Uh, it's not like, well, when you say technological shift, we don't really think about sustainability, but actually being more sustainable takes into so many different aspects, into product development, into the way you produce the product in uh, you know the chains, but also about tracking your sourcing and technology has a big role into that. So I would definitely also think sustainability with consumer being more aware and cautious about what they consume and our brand being more engaged, speaking here for, for Guerlain as well, uh, with uh, engagement at heart. Uh, definitely, I think this is a, a big challenge for us coming ahead. Super exciting to hear those um, insights from you, Sophie, especially, you know, at the helm of a big role within an international business and a beautiful brand. We all have actually similar challenges coming forward uh, in terms of technological shifts. And I feel we all have the responsibility as well when it comes to sustainability. Sophie, thank you so much for sharing your incredible knowledge, mm-hmm. insights, for giving us really what was the best possible masterclass on how to carve out a digital first career within luxury with Paris as the foundation. So to close this episode of Tech Powered Luxury, I'd like to ask you one last question. What is the one skill that you would recommend industry insiders to start working on today? Actually, I thought about it long, 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 and it's not one skill. It's just one advice. Just work. Go ahead 
take your chance and work. Don't always look at the big picture, but look at the smaller steps you can take to go towards your path. And uh, it's going to be more easily accessible to you. But if you work strongly and if you're humble and curious, everything's going to come up to you, especially in this industry. So it's not a skill. It's about who you are and just keep on working towards it. You're going to get it. Fantastic advice. Just take action. Go ahead. Don't be afraid. Get out of the comfort zone and go for it. Exactly. Sophie, that's been amazing. And you've been incredibly generous with your time. I know how busy you are. I imagine that this episode is going to help so many people navigate and give them the information that is actually really impossible to find, like whether you're Googling it or trying to figure it out on LinkedIn. It's all those very local nuances that will help people figure out, okay, how do I carve out that career? And what what are those ideal things that these beautiful and very aspirational brands are looking for? So thank you so much. If people would like to follow Sophie's journey, you can look for her on LinkedIn. Sophie Georgevic, of course, her name is in the title of the podcast and in the show notes as well. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. And thank everyone for listening to us. Uh, and do not hesitate to reach out. Great. Merci. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to Tech Powered Luxury, your weekly podcast on all things luxury and tech. If you have enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe and follow Tech Powered Luxury on Instagram, TikTok, Snap, Twitter, LinkedIn, or sign up to our weekly newsletter. Tech Powered Luxury is proud to partner with GladCloud, the platform that is powering our media campaigns through its collaborative social media marketing platform, which is perhaps how you have discovered the podcast today. We'd love to hear from you if you have any ideas, questions, or would like to join us as a guest. 